Um, today, we uh, are continuing in our passage from 1 Corinthians, our, our series from 1 Corinthians. Last week, we took a, a one-week detour as we considered uh, baptism, and we looked at the story of Naaman the Syrian. But before that, we were chugging along through the book of 1 Corinthians. We had completed up to chapter 7, verse 24, and today we're going to be finishing out the rest of 1 Corinthians 7. Um, you know, uh, I didn't plan this, but today's message is going to be focused a lot more on singleness. You know, as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks earlier, as we looked at 1 Corinthians, the beginning part of 1 Corinthians, Paul focused a lot more on marriage. And I had said, well, we're going to be talking about singleness later on because Paul does talk a lot more about that in verses 25 through 40. And today happens to be the Sunday before Valentine's Day. This was not planned. Not planned. But maybe, maybe God, maybe God is up to something. Um, I don't know how you feel about Valentine's Day. I know that when I was young and I was a kid in school, Valentine's Day was just another fun day where we got candy, right? And any day you get candy is a good day in school. And, you know, maybe that's how you felt. It was all lighthearted, fun, and whatnot. But, you know, um, for many people, uh, as we get older and, and time passes, and especially if you're, if you're single, maybe Valentine's Day becomes just another reminder of your singleness. Maybe it's something that is no longer something that you're looking forward to, but maybe you even dread, right? I don't know. There could be all sorts of feelings in this room on this Sunday before Valentine's Day. And I don't know if this sermon and me talking about what the Bible says about singleness today, it might be like a double whammy of cringe. Like, oh gosh, I've heard so many sermons on, on singleness, and I, I know what he's going to say, and, you know, maybe you do. Maybe you've, you've heard countless sermons on 1 Corinthians 7 or, or sermons or workshops on dating and singleness and all these different things, and um, I don't know if there's anything new that I can add to that this morning, but my, my hope is that this message coming on the Sunday before Valentine's Day would actually end up being God's grace and favor and mercy and that it would be God's word that brings you encouragement and hope this morning. Um, I think it applies to those who are married or single, but especially to those who are single. And, and I hope that this is something that will, will leave you encouraged this day. Amen? That's, that's my hope. That's my hope. Well, let's get into the word of God. Um, I'm going to read verses 25 through 40, and then we're going to come back again through it a little bit more slowly. So, Verse 25, it says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry... You have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, 
and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So that he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Um, let me say first, let me just give a disclaimer here that this is a challenging text. It's a very challenging text in terms of really understanding what Paul is saying here. Um, there are many different views out there from very, very wise and gifted theologians about what's happening here. Um, there are questions about what the Greek means, and not everybody's in agreement about everything. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you what I think based upon my reading and, and my reading of these theologians as well. And I'm going to do my best to share with you what I think, what I think Paul is saying to us here. So we'll go back here to this passage up in verse 25. First, it starts off, he says, Now concerning the betrothed. So um, the first question here is, what is who, who are the betrothed? Who is Paul talking about here? Who is he turning his attention to when he says, Now concerning the betrothed? Probably who these people are are, are young men and women who have been um, uh, uh, in put in together in a prearranged marriage. So they have been pledged to each other in marriage, but they are not married yet. Um, a prearranged marriage is probably the closest thing to what betrothed means. Now, we know earlier, earlier on in chapter 7, um, Paul talked about marriage, he talked about singleness, and now he's talking about a somewhat different topic about those who are betrothed. And he says, concerning this, I have no command from the Lord. Now, if you remember back in verse 10, Paul said, you know, when it comes to marriage, let men and women not separate. Don't divorce. Unless it is for truly biblical grounds, do not divorce. And he said, it's not I who say that, but it's the Lord. In other words, this was already written about in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, God said, you know, that a man and a woman come together in marriage, and that's a sacred thing. And Jesus said, let 
what God has brought together not be torn apart. So this is something that the word of God has already said and Jesus has said. So Paul said, it's not me, it's the Lord who says this. But in verse 12, about what do I do if I became a Christian, but my spouse did not? So what about these mixed marriages? And, and these Corinthians were thinking, oh, if I'm going to be spiritual, I should leave my spouse because now I'm a Christian. Now I, I need to follow the Lord, and there's no way I can follow the Lord if my spouse has chosen not to believe in God. And Paul says, well, um, this is what I'm saying, not the Lord. Not that what he's saying is not important, but the Bible specifically did not talk about that particular issue. So Paul is giving his advice, what he thinks, which we know is also Scripture as well now as the Spirit of God was speaking through him. And he said, no, don't leave your spouse. If you became a Christian um, and you were already married, don't leave your spouse. Trust in God to work through you to touch your spouse, to touch your kids, because marriage is sacred. What God has put together, don't, don't leave your spouse if your spouse is willing to stay together with you. And now he comes to this particular instance here about the betrothed. Now, there are Corinthians probably who are like, okay, um, married people stay together. Singles, okay, Paul is saying it's better for them to stay single if they have the gift of celibacy like he did. But what about the betrothed? What about these people who are in prearranged marriages? What do we do about them in that situation? Now, Paul's saying here, here, I'm going to give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And then he says, I think, I think, this is what I think should be done. So what Paul is doing here is um, he's not giving a command saying that this is what everybody needs to do if you are betrothed. And, and I think this applies to people who are single today as well. I think there's a lot of relevance for you if you're single. Paul's not saying this needs to be a command for you, but this is kind of like my, my sanctified advice. This is my advice about what I think is really, really good and what would be most helpful and beneficial for those who are betrothed or for those who are single, applying it to ourselves in this day. So what does he say? He says that I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So what is the present distress that Paul is talking about? Now, some people think that that distress might be a localized difficulty, like there was a famine going on during those times in that area. So maybe Paul is saying, you know, in a really difficult time like this when there's a famine, maybe it's not such a good idea to get married. That's going to be really tough on you uh, and your family uh, during a time like this. Other people, and I tend to agree with the other people, think that this is actually just talking more about the end times. The time from when Jesus came all the way until Jesus comes again in his second coming, that this entire time is the period of distress. Because Jesus said, hey, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, then you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You need to be willing to say no to yourself. You need to be willing to even lay down your life to be my disciple. Why? Because he said, no servant is above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. There is, this, there is this persecution, this intensification that, happen, that is happening against the people of God. And if you want to be a Christian, it means needing to be willing to count the cost in order to follow Jesus. I think, I think this is the time that Paul is talking about, about present distress. 
It is from when Jesus came 2,000 years ago all the way until he comes again. It's the age of the church right now. It's right now, this time that we're living in. And he says, he thinks that it's good for a person to remain as he is. So what is that? Well, he says, if you're married, stay married. Stay married. Um, don't get divorced. Marriage is sacred. But if you're single, and if you have the gift of celibacy like Paul, then stay single. Because he thinks that that is actually better. It is better for you to remain in the situation that you are. So he's saying to these Corinthians, you know, honestly, I think that if you are betrothed to me personally, I think it would be better if you don't go through with the marriage. Now, I know some of you in this room, you might be engaged. You're like, what? <laughs> don't go through with my engagement? You're crazy, man. Are you kidding me? I, I understand. I understand. I think there are differences between now and in 2,000 years ago, right? Now, engagement, there's this dating period and romance, and, and you, you love this person that you're going to be married to, whereas back in these days of prearranged marriages, sometimes it was, uh, you didn't, I mean, you didn't know that person. You might have felt kind of ambivalent about who mom and dad chose for you. Maybe it'd be a bit of a relief to get out of that prearranged marriage. I, I think there were some differences between now and then, but the bottom line here, Paul is saying is, you know, I, I think it's better for you if you are single to stay single. That, that's the better thing. So if you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be free. Stay in the marriage. But if you are free from a wife, if you're single, don't seek a wife. But he makes it clear that this is just advice. He says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Okay, so it's, this is advice. There's nothing wrong with marriage. If you want to get married, if you have that desire within you, go for it. It is not sinful. But he thinks if you're able to stay single, it's actually better. Why? He says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. The reason Paul says that he thinks it's good for a person who's single to remain single is because he wants to spare us worldly trouble. He says, if you're single and you stay single, you will avoid a lot of worldly trouble. And I don't want you to have to go through that worldly trouble. Well, what is that worldly trouble? What does he mean by this? By this really, um, really, really uh, kind of jarring or, or, or very shocking kind of advice. What does he mean by that? What is the trouble that he wants to spare us? Well, his answer, I'm going to break it up into two parts here. His answer as to why he thinks it's better to remain single. The first part, here again in verses 29 to 31. He says, this is what I mean. He says, let me explain. Let me explain why being single is a viable, real option. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What does he mean by that? Well, I think what Paul means is that he's saying, listen, we are living in a very special time right now. Jesus is coming back soon. Now, when he says the appointed time has grown short, it doesn't mean that the timeline has gotten compressed and Jesus is 
he was going to come back in 1,000 years, and now he's going to come back in 500 years. Like, he shortened it. I mean, certainly, with every passing day, the amount of time shortens, right, naturally. But that's not what he's saying. I think what he's saying is this. He's saying that, you know, for, for all of human history up till now, in the, from the days of Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and King David and the prophets, nobody knew how things were going to work out. They were, they were all looking forward to this. Even angels longed to look into these things and, and, and just try to understand how was God going to do what he was going to do? How is he going to redeem people? How is he going to save them? How is he going to answer for their sin? How could he possibly forgive them when they've sinned against them? They didn't know. They didn't know. They all were, were looking forward and trying to figure this out, and they had no idea how this would really, really work out. But Paul is saying, now that Jesus has come, Jesus has come, and he has died upon the cross, and he has been raised from the empty tomb, we see what God has done. Now we see with clarity the answer to salvation. And our Lord Jesus has told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission. And he said, when that's done, the end is going to come. In other words, Paul is saying is we live with this clarity now because we've seen the first coming of Christ and we live with this incredible anticipation of the second coming of Christ and we are living in the last days. These are the last days as the Bible has described. From when Jesus came until he returns are the last days. And even though it's been 2,000 years, we are to live with this last days mentality. Jesus could come in another 2,000 years from now, or he could come this very day. We don't know. He says that he may come like a thief in the night when nobody is expecting it. And Paul says we need to live with this type of anticipation at the second coming of Christ. The time has grown very short. And so, in light of this, he says, from now on, but those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. What Paul is saying here is we need to live with this understanding that the time is short, that Jesus will return, and this world and this life, this church age that we're living in right now is temporary and will pass away. And then we will enter into the new age, the new heavens and the new earth, and everything will be different. And the things that are of this world, that characterize this world, will no longer be what characterizes the new age and the new world. The things of this world are passing away. And we need to live with that understanding and that mentality. So he says, those who have wives live as though they had none. That doesn't mean, oh, well, Christine wants to go watch this movie, but I want to watch that movie. We're going to watch my movie because I'm going to live as though I had no wife. We're going to eat where I want to eat. We're gonna, I'm going to paint the house the color I want to paint. That's not what Paul is saying there. Paul is saying, live in a way where you understand that even earthly marriage is temporary. There is no marriage in heaven. I'm married to my wife, Christine, right now, 
But in marriage, in heaven, there is no marriage because the church is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom and all earthly marriage is temporary and points forward to what we are truly longing for in our heart and that is to be reunited with our Savior face to face. Earthly marriage is temporary. That's why when you mourn, he says don't mourn. That doesn't mean don't mourn at your favorite uncle's funeral. No, you should mourn. But he says, don't mourn in a way as if that were permanent. Don't mourn in a way as the world does without any hope. But we mourn in a way where we know that every tear will be removed from our eyes in the new heavens and the new earth, and there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. He says, those who rejoice, don't rejoice as those who, to rejoice as those who are not rejoicing. In other words, whatever you may take pleasure in in this life, oh, I make more money now than I did before I got a raise. Oh, this house is nicer than the house that I had before. All of these things that we rejoice in, don't rejoice in them and hold on to them like they're yours forever. Because those things are temporary. They're not lasting. Don't buy. You should buy it as those who had no goods not rejoicing simply in the things that we are able to buy with this consumeristic mentality and to not deal with the world. And we're supposed to deal with the world as though we had no dealings with it. To understand that everything in this world is temporary. What Paul is saying is that we need to understand that there are many things in this world that are good, including marriage. They're good. We should mourn at the right time. We should rejoice at the right time. These are many things that are good, but none of these things are ultimate things, is what he's saying. These things are temporary and will pass away, marriage included, marriage being first on this list. The theologian Gordon Fee, he said, now, so now one does not so much live detached from the world as totally free from its control. Therefore, one lives in the world just as the rest, Married, sorrowing, rejoicing, buying, making use of it. But none of these determines one's life. The Christian is marked by eternity. Therefore, he or she is not under the dominating power of those things that dictate the existence of others. For the Christians, for Christians, Paul says, we can enjoy good things in this life, but we need to know that they are not ultimate things, brothers and sisters. This is the first thing that Paul tries to do here. He tries to defang the concept of marriage as an ultimate thing, that if you do not get married, that somehow your life is incomplete and you're a second-class citizen and you're not truly living life unless you're married. He's trying to defang the power of that to say, no, even marriage is temporary. It is but a shadow pointing forward to the real thing that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth. And now, we need to, we need to kind of just take a moment here and, and, and just let, let, let it soak in about how incredibly countercultural this was in Paul's day and age. I know that today, this can be very countercultural. We, we live in a day where many people in this society, maybe many of us here in this room, we we hold marriage up to a place of not just being something good, but we do in our hearts feel like it's something ultimate that we need to have or else life is just not complete. And, and we're surrounded by that in, in, in media and, and in books and in, in Korean dramas and whatever have you, what have you, all the time we're being told about what an ultimate thing love and human earthly love and marriage is. But think about 
for Paul to say 2,000 years ago that marriage is not an ultimate thing. It's a good thing, but it's not ultimate. was crazy. In, in Jewish culture, everybody was expected to marry. Everybody was expected to marry. If you did not marry, there was something wrong with you. Well, some of the Corinthians were not Jewish. There were Gentiles who became believers. It doesn't matter. Caesar Augustus. He made it a law when he was Caesar that you needed to be married by a certain age. Men needed to be married by 25. Women needed to be married by 20. And if you were not married by those ages, you were subject to marginalization and even legal penalties. You thought we had pressure to get married. It was, it was like being single was illegal in ways. You get penalized for that. The pressure was just incredible back then. Not to mention uh, what it was like, especially for women in those days. Women were, were, were oftentimes, most of the time, they were homemakers, and they were economically dependent upon their husbands. And if they did not get married, they, they basically had to stay in the home of their father there if they were not married. They didn't have the means most of the time to be able to be economically self-sufficient. Bearing children was so important in that society. As, as you've read from the Old Testament, right, we can see how difficult it was societally to be barren or to be infertile, to not be able to have children. And so obviously having children implies being able to get married. So that pressure was there as well. In Rome, for women, citizenship was only attainable through male family. So through your father or through your husband, you could obtain, you could enjoy the benefits of Roman citizenship, but not by yourself as a woman. The pressures back then to be married were just so immense. For Paul to say, but you know what? In Christ, in Christ, something revolutionary, more revolutionary has taken place. Marriage is not your end all and be all. It is temporary. There is no marriage in heaven. I love my wife, Christine. I, I love marriage, but I will not be married to her in heaven. I'm going to petition God that I want to be her roommate. I hope that he will let me be her roommate, but I certainly will not be married to her. And, and, I, and I won't be sad about that because I will be reunited with the bridegroom, with Christ. This, and I, and I think really this has so much relevance for today because in so much of society, marriage is seen as an ultimate thing. Maybe some of you feel that way as well. That if I do not get married, I, 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 am, I am not experiencing life. I'm a second-class citizen. Maybe you feel that type of pressure from your, your friends, right? Sometimes married people, we can be kind of insensitive about this. Say, like, oh, you're not married? Why not? How come you're not married? As if there was something wrong with you if you're single, right? We need to take that assumption out of our minds when we are interacting with people who are single. Some of you, maybe you experience tremendous pressure from your parents and to the point where they've tied your worth together with being married. Maybe you have experienced very hurtful things from your parents, words spoken to you connecting your worth with being married, essentially saying that if you're not married, you are worthless or that there is something wrong with you. And again, as I said before, this is something that is actually even more real for women who face uh, pressures of 
of time, age, in our society in ways that men do not. I think this is extremely relevant for today. Paul saying, marriage cannot be ultimate, no matter what society says, because it is temporal. It is not forever. It is not eternal. Your worth as a person cannot be tied to marriage because marriage isn't eternal. Being a son of God, being a daughter of God, that is eternal. And this is so important because Augustine said, we cannot love what is eternal unless we cease to love what is, te- unless we cease to love what is temporal. Learn to dismiss it before you are dismissed by it. We cannot really understand our, our identity, our eternal identity as sons and daughters of God unless we come to understand that the identity that the world puts on us is temporal, it's fleeting, and it does not have eternal weight or significance. So that's the first part of what Paul is saying here. He tries to defang that message that marriage is ultimate, and that if you don't have it, there's something wrong with you. He says, no, it's temporary, it's not going to last. Now, with that being said, he goes on here in verse 32 to 35, to talk about the actual, the actual advantages that there are to being single. And he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What Paul is saying here is, you know, this word anxieties, it could be translated cares or concerns. Paul is saying, I want you to be free from, from cares and concerns and anxieties in this world. And, and, and here's the reality. If you are married, if you're married, you will have certain cares and concerns in your life that are unavoidable, right? that, are, that are just simply a part of being married, a part of having a family that you do not have if you are single. And that is a real advantage It's not empty talk. It's not some type of consolation prize. It's not some little pat on the back that says, well, you're not married. Oh, poor you. Well, at least you got more free time. No, this is a biblical, real thing that Paul is talking about here. He says, when you're married, there are just certain pragmatic, logistical concerns and things that weigh upon you that don't allow you to serve God in the same way that you could if you were single. This is what Paul is saying. And it's true. When when I was um, just out of college, I went on a mission trip to China. I went out to rural northern China with a group of other people from my church. And we spent about two weeks um, living out of a backpack, wandering from village to village in poor rural China, 
with local Chinese Christian itinerant ministers. And these people, these Chinese Christians, would go from village to village to village, preaching the word of God in house churches, praying for the sick, casting out evil spirits, doing the, the work of God from place to place to place. All these they lived out of a backpack. They were filled with joy. And I looked at that and I said, God, this is what I want to do. Lord, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. This is the life that I want. And, and after those two weeks, I came home and I told my pastors at home, I said, I want to go out to the mission field in China right now. I don't need anything. I sell all my stuff. I can get rid of all of it. I just need one backpack and I can go out there and I'll be happy. And they told me, no, don't go wisely because I was young and immature and I was probably romanticizing things in some way. But, but that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go out there and just live out of a backpack and serve the Lord in that way. I said, God, I want to give my life to China. A few years later, I got married, had kids, and then um, in, in our family of churches, there was a need in China. And the pastors came to me and said, hey, Ulysses, would you consider going with your family out to China and serving God there? God came back to me and said, hey, remember that thing about China that you said? And I said, no. What, what, what thing? You must, you must have the wrong Ulysses Wang, sir. I, that, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. It must have been somebody else. Said, no, no, no. Hey, I said, no, God, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I can't. I can't go. No, Lord, Lord, send somebody else. Just like Moses. God, send somebody else. Like, do you really mean me? God, you know, and, and everything changed. Why? Because suddenly now, I wasn't, it wasn't just me. It was me, my wife, my kids. And maybe when I was younger, I could have lived out of a backpack. But now I was thinking, but how do we take care of my family? What about the finances that we need to be able to live like that? Do I really want to, can I live out of a backpack with my kids? What about their education? What about what they're going to eat? What about all these different things? All these different cares and concerns were on my heart that made me, that made me say, God, ah, can you send somebody else? By the grace of God, we ended up going out to Shanghai for two years, much softer landing than rural China, and we were able to be faithful, I believe, to God's calling for me to go out to China. But the truth is, everything changed for me after I was married and I had kids. I had real concerns, and those concerns are not bad concerns. Those are just real, pragmatic things. The, Paul is not saying these anxieties are wrong. Although, if they were, he would say, don't get married. It's sinful. He says, no, it's not sinful. It's okay, but your life is just going to be different. Christine, too, before we got married and had kids, especially after we had kids, she used to just hang out like crazy. Church people, fellowship, meetings, getting together, worship night, prayer, all these different things. She loved it. Things changed after we get married. Things really changed after we had kids, and she had to really wrestle with not being able to do the thing, same things that she was able to do before because she didn't have the same kind of time. She didn't have the same kind of concerns upon her with a family. Now, again, those things are not bad. Those things are good. They are a part of being married and having a family. But Paul is saying they are different. And there are real advantages to being single. Marriage is good. There are special things about marriage. Ephesians 5. 
We get to show the world the relationship between Christ and the church, bride and the bride, bridegroom and the bride, in a special way through a beautiful marriage. But there are also advantages to when you are single in the way that you can serve and be devoted to the Lord. Marriage was right for me. It was right for Christine. But it's not right for everybody. And it should definitely not be assumed that it is a higher state of being or the better thing. See, the, here, here's the, implica- the implication of this. And, and this is so, it's such a blessing. See, what, what this means, if this is true, and I believe that it is, is that if you are single, when you're single, you're not waiting around for life to begin. Like life just begins after you get married. Paul says that right now, while you're single, and some of you, you may want to get married. And one day you you may be married. And you won't have the opportunity that you do right now that Paul says is a special, unique opportunity that only singles can experience where you are not burdened by the anxieties and the cares and the the logistical pragmatism that is something that married people need to be concerned about. And that is a part and parcel with married life. This is a special opportunity to serve the Lord and to be devoted to Him in an undivided way that is really a blessing and something that is good. It is good. This, this also means, of course, that if, you are, if you're single, if you choose singleness, you don't choose singleness because you, know, you, you, um, you, you, you were hurt in past relationships or, or because you saw your parents fight all the time. Or maybe you look at married people and you're like, I don't want to lose my independence. That's not why you choose singleness. Those are not the right reasons. You choose singleness because you want to be devoted to the Lord in a special way that you cannot be when you're married, and especially when you're married with kids. It's interesting, right, that Paul, he says, he says I wish everybody could be like me, single. It's, it's interesting that the person who wrote the majority of the New Testament was single, Paul. The person who went all around the Mediterranean planting all these churches was single, Paul. Something that was so um, countercultural back then. God used somebody who was single to do amazing work for him that perhaps Paul would not have been, perhaps he would not have been able to do in the same way if he were married and if he had a family. Paul here says that this is a wonderful opportunity. You are not waiting for life to begin. You can live a uniquely full and special life now that you actually cannot live. It's going to be different when you get married. So Paul says here, what does he do? He starts to conclude things here. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed. If his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Now remember, there were Corinthians. There were Corinthians in the church who were saying, don't get married. Marriage is bad. Remember, they were, they were influenced by Greek philosophy, right? Hyper-spiritualism. 
oh, I'm spiritual and the things of the flesh of, of, of the material world are, are bad, right? That's why they're even saying, oh, should we stop having conjugal relations, right, from earlier in chapter 7. There are people who are saying, maybe we should leave our spouses because then we can more fully serve the Lord. Paul's saying, no, no, that's not bad. Marriage is good. If your passions are strong, if you want to get married, then get married. It's not a sin. Marriage is a good thing. Don't let those ascetics tell you otherwise, okay? That is a distorted understanding of true spirituality. Many people will, will have this desire and they should get married. But he says in verse 37, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, in other words, to not get married, to stay single, he will do well. Paul's saying here, likewise, don't feel the pressure to get married if you're single. We face so much pressure to get married. If you feel like God might be calling you to a life of singleness, if that is something that you have determined in your heart, if it is firmly established, if that's something that you know, then do not give in to the pressure of, of maybe friends always asking you, when are you going to get married? Or what's wrong with you if you're not married? Don't give in to the pressure of even your parents saying to you, unless you get married, I'm going to die! Unless you give me grandchildren, I'm going to die! Don't give in to that pressure. If God has called you to live a life of devoted singleness, if that is something firmly established in your heart. So he says in 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Friends, both are good. When you get married, you do well. Marriage is good. Singleness is good. Both are good because neither of them are ultimate. Neither are ultimate. If you're married now, you will not be married in heaven. We will be with Christ our bridegroom. If you're single now, you will not be single in heaven. You will be married to Christ, your bridegroom. Neither are ultimate now, but all are looking forward to the wedding banquet of the Lamb of God when we will be reunited with him. And the reality is here, Paul says, if you don't get married, if you stay single, you do even better. There is a real advantage to it. And Paul says that clearly. It is not a second-class life. You can serve God in an incredibly powerful effective and fruitful way as a single person because Jesus has changed the game. He has come into this world and broken the cultural assumptions, the, 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 the pressures of this world, and has said to us, your identity is not in any of these things that the world is telling you. It is in me. You are a son, a daughter of God. That is what is eternal. Paul summarizes here, last couple of verses. I'll invite the, the worship team up at this time. He says, A wife is bound to her husband 
as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul kind of here, I think what he's doing in this whole whole thing of chapter 7 is he's coming back and summarizing one more time in verses 39 to 40. He's reminding them, okay, let's go back to marriage here. Marriage is lifelong. As long as you both shall live, you will be married. Don't break that apart. Unless there are biblical grounds, do not break apart marriage, what God has put together. Now, if if your spouse dies, you can go and marry somebody else. But you must marry a Christian only in the Lord. Because how, how can you be, forget full devotion, how can you be devoted to the Lord if you're divided in your marriage in terms of who you are married to? Only in the Lord. Now, but in verse 40, as he says, but I still think if you can stay single, that's better. She's happier as she is. If I were to die, Christine, you know, the Bible says you're happier single without remarrying. <laughs> Plus, if you remarry, I will haunt you from the grave. And that guy, like Patrick Swayze in Ghost, no, she can remarry. It's okay. Because it's temporal anyway. I'm not sharing roommate situation with another guy, though, with her. However that works out. You know, maybe, maybe here in this whole passage, you know, when, when Paul said, I want you to be free from anxieties, maybe the thing that kind of jumped out in your heart was, oh, yeah, Paul, yeah, Ulysses. But you know what I really, what makes me anxious is I want to get married. I, I, I don't know when I'm going to get married. I don't know if I'm ever going to get married. I want to get married. That's what I'm anxious about. You know, I, it, it might sound cliche to you. It might be. But my prayer is what God would do through his word is that your heart would long so deeply for the bridegroom, for the real thing, so that earthly marriage, as good as, as good as it is, would be seen for what it is, a shadow, a shadow of the real thing. That your heart would be saying, you know, I hope that marriage would, would come and that it would come quickly, but more deeply, my cry is, Lord Jesus, come and come quickly. That's the real thing. My prayer is that if there is this, if marriage is seen as ultimate to you, that that power of culture or whatnot would be defanged in your heart. Not that you, not that you wouldn't want it anymore. That's, it's okay if you desire to be married. But that if there's anything in there that said that your life cannot be meaningful without marriage, that that would be broken. That that would be defanged. That that would lose its grip and power on your heart. And that this truth of being able to be devoted to God would set, set you free to live fully now. Not in a state of waiting, but in a state of pursuing Christ now. Being able to be fully devoted to God in a way that you cannot be later on. And brothers and sisters, if you are single, 
if you are single, to, to be able to see that right now as a special time, a special time, a, a, a special dispensation, if you will, in your life where you can pursue God and do things for Him that you would not be able to do maybe later on. And it is so good. And there are things about it that are even better. That is, that is my hope. And, and if I'm cliche, you know, I, I hope that the Word of God would not be and that it would truly give you hope um, in whatever situation you find yourself in right now. Can we stand? And um, let me pray before we enter into worship. God, I just want to pray right now, Lord, that, that you, your word says that you are the lover of our souls. Would you come right now and would you just pour your love into our hearts, God, this day, this moment, Lord, especially those who may feel unloved, especially those who may feel like unless they have the love of a person in this world that they're incomplete, may you pour out your love on those hearts this morning. May you speak your words and let us know that we are seen, that we are heard, he speak to you and say that you are loved, you are son, you are daughter. And Lord, I pray that the, any the hurtful words or expectations, maybe even words that were well-meaning, but that have wounded, Lord God, Lord, that you would heal with your balm, with your salve, with your oil and your wine, that you would bind up in a way that only the love of God can do. God, I pray, help us, all of us now, to live fully, whether as married, in displaying the love of Christ for the church to this world, and maybe raising up children in the Lord, things that are so good, or in our singleness, and in our devotion, and the way that we can pursue and give so much of our time and our heart and our energy and our resources to you, building up the kingdom of God and building up others around us. Lord, both are so good. I pray that the singles would be able to be inspired and encouraged and built up from your word this day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.